Amen. Good morning. Good morning to each of you. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. You know, I was um, uh, I'm just going to say it. I hope this doesn't uh, well, I hope this doesn't change your opinion of me if you had an opinion of me, but uh, there are times, even this week, where I sought to build my name over his. And so that song really touched me this morning because I want, and this became my prayer as I was singing that song, is I want that to be true of me. I, I want the cause of Christ to be the reason I live and the reason I die and that the things that I do throughout the week, just the day-to-day stuff of life, that would be for the promotion of His name, ultimately, not mine. So... Um, so when you think about me during the week, you can just pray with me in that regard. I really covet and appreciate your prayers that, uh, uh, that all the stuff that God is still doing in my own heart would continue to take root and just uh, manifest and, and grow to be whatever He wants it to be. So thank you for that. Church, I'm excited to be here with you. I also want to express my appreciation to, uh, to those who've just served us so well uh, last Sunday at the picnic, and then yesterday in the spring cleanup, the cleanup crew. You know, I've said many times that it takes every member in the church to do the ministry of the church, and, uh, and then to be the church in the community. And I'm just so thankful for you, East Parkway, because uh, you really exemplify that, you model that for us, uh, you model that for me, and so thank you. Thank you to all of those who labor uh, behind the scenes, often in ways totally unrecognized, to really serve us and uh, and uh, bolster our ministry in the community. So I'm just very, very appreciative. And I have, uh, in addition to that, I have some very exciting news to share this morning. Um, for many months, many weeks, uh, after many months and many weeks, and after eight days past the due date, Isabel Elise Dupe was born early this morning. <laughs> she, was, uh, she was born at 2.28 this morning. Uh, she measured in. She weighed in at 6 pounds, 6 ounces, and uh, 19 and a half inches. Uh, healthy as can be. Labor began around 2 a.m. yesterday morning, so about a 24-hour period. And uh, mom and dad are very thankful for a very uh, pretty simple uh, delivery. So um, Patrick and Michelle reached out to us this morning just to let us know that, that they're doing well, that all is well, and that uh, they'll have uh, pictures for us soon, and then the actual, the real thing uh, <laughs> soon after that. So... Um, so we're just super excited for them, very, very excited for them. Will you take your Bible, please, and uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 3, the New Testament book of Acts chapter 3. 
in church circles, people often talk about living for Jesus. You've heard that expression, living for Jesus. Have you ever considered, have you ever, have you ever paused to consider what it means? And more specifically, what it means for you and for your everyday life. Most of us, most of us are just trying to keep up with life, aren't we? The pace is fast, the demands are many, and the victories along the way can be hard to spot at times. Life itself can be very hard, and if the expectation to live for Jesus isn't clearly defined, it can leave us defeated and in chronic guilt. Last week from Acts chapter 2, we considered the first century church and the lives of those early church members. We saw from that passage how they were characterized by certain things, namely by devotion to godly practice, by amazement at what God was doing, by unity as a congregation, by compassionate care for one another, and by commitment to the church community. And we learned also that the church community was having a positive, transformative effect on their neighboring community because church members saw themselves as participants in the ministry of Jesus day by day. In other words, the people of the church, born and empowered by the Spirit of God, were living for Jesus simply as they went about their daily routine. Not surprisingly, this theme continues as we move into chapter 3. We see followers of Jesus simply living their everyday lives with ordinary faith, that sometimes has an extraordinary effect on the world around them. Church, living for Jesus isn't about doing big things for God. It's about being faithful in the seemingly small things in the everyday good works that he has prepared while leaving the results to him. That's what we're going to consider together this morning. Let's, let's read it. Follow along with me. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to go through the whole chapter this morning. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what, God, at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead, and you killed the author of life, whom God has raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel... To those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for, we want to thank you for life. We want to thank you for life together as a church. I want to thank you for the joy of, of celebrating life, of living life with, with each other, with fellow members in the body of Christ. I want to thank you for life in Christ. There was a time when we were held captive by death, when we were in the kingdom of darkness, but you have transferred from death to life, from darkness to light.
and we're very, very grateful. Father, we want to thank you for, for birth, of course, for spiritual birth, but even today, we, we just especially thank you for physical birth. Thank you for Isabel, Elise, Dupe. Thank you for this, this baby girl who, who um, just brings so much joy into so many lives. We would pray for her. Thank you for her health. Thank you for good health. Thank you for a healthy pregnancy and a healthy labor and delivery. Thank you that Michelle is doing well and Patrick is doing well. We rejoice with them. We rejoice with Jennifer also. God, we're just, we're, we're just very, very grateful. We pray that you would continue to, to, um, to make little Isabel healthy and strong. We would pray that, that you'd continue to help Michelle recover we pray that as she and Patrick transition into being first-time parents, that you would help them because we know they need it. <laughs> so be gracious to them. Bring joy, just joy upon joy. And Father, we need your help too this morning. We know that we cannot... Um, that really we cannot understand your word and certainly we cannot apply it without your help. And so we just ask you to come and help us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to be willing to consider the areas of our lives that, you're, that, that you want to touch on this morning. Help us to be open and vulnerable and teachable to the Holy Spirit. Help me to get out of the way that the Spirit of God would do his work now through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I think Acts 3 can be loosely divided into two parts. The setting and the sermon. The first 11 verses describe an encounter between the apostles Peter and John and an unnamed beggar who had been unable to walk since birth. Each day, the beggar was carried to a gate of the temple known as the Beautiful Gate, located on the temple's eastern side, which led from the court of the Gentiles into the women's court. Made of Corinthian bronze, it measured 75 feet high and by 60 feet wide. This was an impressive gate. In a well-trafficked area, a perfect place to ask for alms. One day, as was their practice, Peter and John were heading to the temple for afternoon prayer. We know from chapter 2 that the Christian community was devoted to prayer, including times of formal prayer, so it's really no surprise that chapter 3 begins in this way. Peter and John, and probably many others also, had traveled the same path to the temple before and had likely attended the three o'clock prayer meeting many times. For them, that day didn't appear much different than previous ones, yet little did they know that on that very normal day, something entirely out of the norm was about to occur. A beggar would be healed. The gospel would be preached. 
And within a very few short hours, hundreds of people would come to saving faith in Christ. In the first section, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Because his example here is very helpful when it comes to living for Jesus. In fact, Peter's behavior in this scene reveals three very simple, very practical applications as they relate to our ordinary, everyday faith in God. First, notice who initiates this encounter. It's not Peter and John, as we might assume. They were just going about their day, heading toward the temple when their plans were interrupted by an unexpected request. Nothing in the text suggests they were anticipating this. Nothing. However, when the beggar intruded on their plans, they received the intrusion as an opportunity from God. In my life, if I'm honest with myself, All too often, my plans take priority as I attempt to control my schedule around the predictable. You know what I mean? And therefore, I tend to miss many of the unscheduled opportunities God brings my way. Maybe it's a visit from someone unexpected. Maybe it begins with a frustrating hiccup that throws my day off kilter. Maybe it's a phone call or email. Maybe one of my kids want to tell a, a very long, very detailed story about their day. Whatever those daily interruptions may be, they may not be an intrusion at all, but actually an opportunity from God. Richard Newhouse says, It is our determination to be independent by being in control that makes us unavailable to God. Living for Jesus means surrendering your plans to God's plans for you. Let me say that another way. Surrender your schedule to God. We must understand that God ordains our days and therefore our plans must be subservient to His. His ways are greater. His thoughts are higher. His plans are better. Therefore, willing submission to the Father's will positions us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit in the present day ministry of Jesus Christ as He enters your present day situation. As much as anything, as much as anything, the apostles gave this man their time. And time is the most valuable resource we have. They gave him their attention, which in and of itself is noteworthy, considering that still to our day, beggars are largely overlooked and ignored. They looked him in the eye. 
They spoke with him personally. Peter touched him and took him by the hand. They had no gold or silver to offer, but what they had they gave, and they did so because they had already surrendered their schedule to God. They never made it to the prayer meeting. Actually, it appears that the prayer meeting was canceled because everyone in the temple was astonished at what was happening. Now, I don't know how healing works and why some are healed while others aren't. And I can't say if we will ever experience anything like this, an event of this proportion where you will be used of God to heal another person merely by speaking it in Christ's name. But I do know, church, I do know that we have the same ability to minister in that great name each and every day. In verse 6, Peter invokes the name of Jesus Christ. And later in verse 16, he says uh, that by faith in his name, the man was healed and made strong. But notice here that it wasn't the man's faith at least not at first. He may have demonstrated a degree of faith when he took Peter by the hand, but it was Peter's faith and probably John's faith also that made the man well. Application or implication number two, living for Jesus means allowing your faith in Jesus to affect others also, allowing your faith in Jesus to affect others also. To invoke the name of Christ is to invite his power and presence. In the full biblical understanding, the name of Jesus entails everything that is true about Jesus, and therefore, in a sense, invoking his name invites the person of Jesus into any given situation. We should live each day by faith in the name of Jesus. Pray in Jesus' name. Serve in His name. Run errands in His name. Do household tasks in His name. Work in His name. Or run a business in His name. Do school in His name, play sports or music or other hobbies in His name, raise a family in His name, care for our children or our ailing parents in His name. Church, when you invoke the name of Jesus, you are inviting the person of Jesus into your everyday affairs, and as you become more consciously aware of His presence with you, Throughout the day, you can take your faith in Jesus and freely share it with others. The man, as far as we know, the man doesn't appear to know anything about Jesus. But Peter does. Peter knew that Jesus could could meet his need and transform his life. And therefore, Peter's faith made the difference for that man 
at least until he came to place faith in Jesus on his own. And now with verse 11, the scene shifts to an area of the temple known as Solomon's portico. It's a porch of sorts, also located on the eastern side of the temple complex. And I love how the man just clung to Peter and John and how all the people ran to them to learn more. By the way, and as an aside here, I just want you to notice the ripple effect of what's going on here. One action taken toward one person affected countless others because you never know who's listening or watching. Unable to deny the obvious change in the man's life, the people want to know what happened and what followed is Peter's explanation. Now I want you to remember, Peter had not planned for any of this. Yet he was prepared. And years later, he would write to the believers scattered across Asia Minor about always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you, but to do it with gentleness and respect. Living for Jesus means being ready and willing to provide a reason for hope. Already he'd given the beggar reason for hope. The man was lame from birth, remember, and according to uh, verse 22 of chapter 4, he was more than 40 years old. So for more than 40 years, his life was marked by all that he wasn't. And yet with just one encounter with Jesus through the apostles Peter and John, his life was completely transformed. Remember how on Easter Sunday two weeks ago we said that, that because of Jesus, your past does not need to define you anymore. And this man was a prime example. Peter is another prime example. It wasn't that long before this scene when Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And yet after meeting the risen Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, he's now, now he's preaching sermons in public, in plain view of all, without fear, calling people to trust Jesus. And notice how well, people, or how well Peter knew his, his audience and, and Scripture, and thus he was able to connect Scripture to the lives of the people. He didn't speak above them, but to them. Aware that he was you know, a Jew himself, and in a Jewish culture, speaking to Jewish people who took pride in their Jewish heritage, he hearkened back to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and told them of God's hopeful promise that was now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I think being ready to tell of our hope in Christ involves becoming a student of people and of God's Word. The more you know about someone and take interest in them, and the more of the Bible you know, the better equipped you are to speak hope into that person's particular situation. 
take interest in others, get to know them, ask questions, learn about them and learn from them, learn about God and from God as He discloses Himself in the Bible, be ready and willing to share your hope. So here in this first section, from Peter's example, we learn that living for Jesus means surrendering your plans to God's plan for you. It means inviting Jesus into your daily routine while allowing your faith to affect others. And it also means being ready and willing to provide a reason for hope when the opportunity arises. Once unable to walk and resigned to begging for daily bread, the man at the gate had found hope and healing and was walking and leaping and praising God. And then from verse 12 and following, Peter gives the crowd reason to hope in Christ as well. And I think that what we have here in in a very solid three-part sermon He lets them know that forgiveness is available, that God is faithful and waiting, and that they must trust in Christ alone. And so, church, whereas in the first section, I asked you to walk in Peter's shoes, I I now want you to number yourself among those in the crowd. Because living for Jesus begins by trusting Jesus. See how Peter presented their need for forgiveness by reminding them of their role in Christ's death. Verse 13, You delivered Jesus over when Pilate had decided to release Him. Verse 14, You denied the Holy and Righteous One. Verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God has raised. But as egregious as their sins were, it was not too late. Forgiveness was theirs for the taking. Peter knew they acted in ignorance, verse 17, that they didn't know what they were doing when they condemned Jesus, at least not in full measure. He also knew that Ignorance is no excuse because we are ultimately accountable to God for our behavior. Moreover, Peter knew that God foretold that Christ would suffer, verse 18, but neither does God's sovereignty negate our accountability. Still, though they had a hand in crucifying Jesus, salvation was available to them if they simply turned to God to receive it. Verses 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things. Here's the point. 
though all have sinned, and therefore we all share responsibility for Christ's crucifixion, repentance will refresh and restore your soul to God. Refreshment occurs. Like you just think about the word refreshment. Refreshment occurs when something tired and worn is revitalized. And to restore something is to bring it back to its original condition. In other words, when we turn to God for forgiveness for sin, our sinful souls, worn and withered dry, will be refreshed and renewed by Jesus. And when Jesus returns again from heaven, those who trust and know Him now will be fully restored to God and to relationship with God as it was from the beginning before the fall. Total refreshment and complete restoration. For those who will repent and grab hold of the forgiveness that God offers. God has been faithful to this promise, patiently providing ample opportunity. Peter reminds them in verses 21 through 24 that God had been speaking about refreshment in Christ for generations from Moses to Samuel, to all the prophets. And these prophecies were written centuries before Jesus were, was born as men received revelation from God and wrote these things down to hear, for others to hear and know. As you know, some of the prophecies were extraordinary in their detail. Specific details about the birth of Christ, certain particulars about His life and ministry, as well as His death and His burial and His resurrection. God foretold these things and people read these prophecies and they were perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Church, we need to remember that Christian faith has substance to it. It's not simply about our individual experiences with Jesus. As meaningful as they are, Christianity is not experience-based but factual. It's based upon the fact of Jesus Christ. So the question confronting us is, who is this Jesus? Why did the prophets write about Him? Why was He sent from God? Why does His birth, His life, His death and resurrection matter? And what does He have to do with me? We must not dismiss or take for granted the grace of God in Christ. God has been faithful through the years to provide many opportunities that are meant to persuade you toward faith in Jesus. Don't ignore them. Because if you will ask those questions of yourself, those why Jesus questions and why me, if you will answer them honestly, you'll see that Jesus has everything to do with you because He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. 
in Peter's second New Testament letter. I quoted from his first letter earlier. In his second New Testament letter, written roughly 30 years after this episode here in Acts 3, he talks about how God is is being patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And what this does is it just provides a wonderful window into God's heart that God is for you and wants to be with you and patiently waits for, for you to turn. But in that same passage, Peter offers a necessary warning saying that judgment will come and when it does, all our deeds will be exposed. And unless we have taken hold of Jesus who has already paid sin's penalty, you will pay it yourself. The Bible says whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because you've not believed in the name of the Son of God. And so we must not presume upon God's kindness and forbearance and patience because the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Acts 3 essentially ends with Peter calling the people to trust in Christ alone. Long ago, God made a covenant with Abraham to bless all peoples of the earth through his offspring. And though the Jews are descendants of Abraham and sons of the prophets, verse 25, and though Jesus was born a Jew and and thus sent to the Jews first, verse 26, the people in the crowd were not automatically grandfathered in. Though though Jews themselves and the people of promise, still each one of them needed to trust in Christ if they were to be saved. And the application here for us this morning is that growing up in a religious tradition, in our case a Christian tradition, does not make you a Christian Being raised by a Christian family in a Christian home does not make you Christian. Attending a Christian church with other Christians is not enough. Having a spiritual experience at a Christian event or worship service is insufficient. Hear this, neither your Christian heritage nor your associations with other Christians have the power to save. But God does. Only He has the power to save, and He does save through the Savior Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God has become the servant of all, and God has raised Him up to bless you. I cannot help but think that there are some in this room who need to hear this. prophet Isaiah once said about this suffering servant that he was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. 
that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And seeing in Jesus the fulfillment of this prophecy, Peter later wrote that he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know what that means? It means that basically you fall into one of two categories of people. If we were to just simplify things and put people into one of two categories, you are either astray and estranged from God today, or you have returned to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're in this camp, or you're in this camp. And there's no middle ground. I want to speak to the wanderer this morning. If you've ever wandered from God and find yourself distant this morning, you need not stray any longer. Have you ever felt so far astray? Uh, I'm speaking to, to all of us here to believers, unbelievers alike. Have you ever felt so far astray, so distant and far removed that you think you're beyond reach? You've just gone too far. You're not. Maybe that's how it works with our human relationships that after months or years of distance, we just grow apart, but not with God. With God, when you turn back to Him, you'll find Him watching and waiting for you like the father in the parable of the prodigal. So this applies to all of us, to those among us who at one time or another placed faith in Christ, but have since wandered from Him, and to those who have yet to place their trust in Jesus. God has tremendous blessing awaiting you, but you must turn from your wickedness, from those sins that led you astray and return to Him by faith in Christ alone. I wonder, I just wonder if there's someone here among us this morning who you just aren't sure where you stand when it comes to Jesus and living for Jesus. And I want to say that you can plant that flag today if you will turn back to God by admitting your need for forgiveness. By embracing God's gift of the Savior and the refreshment He brings. And by expressing your desire to trust and follow Christ from this day forward, living for Jesus begins by trusting Jesus. I want to close with this. There's a little tidbit in this scene that I find interesting. It's actually not 
it's not explicitly stated. It's more indirect than direct, but it's true nonetheless. We know that the beggar was unable to walk since birth, and we're told that he was carried each day to the gate of the temple and that he was over 40 years old. Which means that surely Jesus must have seen this man during his earthly ministry. For as many times as Jesus went to the temple, he likely saw this man. He may have given alms to this man. Probably more than once. And yet he chose to not heal this man. Now, clearly he intended to heal him, and eventually he did heal him. But why now? And why through Peter and John? I think it's because this particular good work was set aside for them as they now ministered with Jesus by His Holy Spirit. And church, in this same way, I believe, I believe that God has set aside things for us as well. Things that He could do at any time through anyone, but is choosing to do through you. For we are His workmanship, assures Ephesians 2.10. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like those who've gone before us, Peter, John, and the others, our ordinary faith sometimes has an extraordinary effect on those around us. Because living for Jesus isn't about doing big things for God. It's about being faithful to the seemingly small things. Those everyday good works. And leaving the results to Him. Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for the time. I'm just recalling even now you're placing on my heart Colossians 4 where we see the Apostle Paul asking for prayer being watchful in prayer because he knows that you open and close doors and he wants to be on the look for those open doors And in that vein, I just pray for myself and for these, my brothers and my sisters. I pray that you would give us that same watchfulness 
today, tomorrow, throughout our everyday lives, give us that same watchfulness, knowing that you open and close doors and that we'd be on the look for the open ones and that we'd have the faith to walk through them as you provide those opportunities. Teach us more and more what it means to live for Jesus. We need him. And we praise him. And we love him. So will you continue to exalt his great name for your glory and for the good of your people. Amen.